Yo, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name is Brandon Harper. I hail from Texas. Actually, I've lived all over Texas, but right now I'm in Corpus Christi. Or as they say in Spanish, Corpus Christi. And I'm the owner and operator and janitor of a micro brewery called New Asus Brewing Company. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with paradise? Absolutely nothing, because owning a brewery is like the farthest thing from paradise that you can imagine. At least for now, while we're in the startup phase. Anyway, this is just the intro. I don't have a standard intro. I record one every single time. I just want to say what's up, let you know what you're listening to, and thank you for tuning in. And words like tuning in, I hope no, never go away. But here we are. I come here about once a week to get all my thoughts, feelings, accusations, emotions off my chest. I do quite a bit of finger pointing every now and then I look in the mirror. But my goal is to make you think and make you feel, actually. You know, there's nothing wrong with criticizing things. And my ultimate goal is for everyone to leave here with a little bit more insight and a lot more desire to criticize things. So sit back, relax, and let me pull the inner tube for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. That's a good one there. Even if you don't remember it, it's a good one. So I'm going to start off today's show by talking a little bit about music. Well, maybe not music specifically, but about two songs in particular. And I want you to listen to them, think about them, process them, and organize your thoughts. Okay? Here's the first one. The answer is no. Baby, it's cold outside. So welcome has been. lucky that you dropped in. So nice and warm. Look out the window. At that storm, my sister will be suspicious. Gosh, your lips look delicious. My brother will be there at the door. Waves upon a tropical shore. My maiden aunt's mind is vicious. Gosh, your lips are delicious. Or maybe just a cigarette more. Never such a blizzard before. I've got to get but home. But baby, you'd freeze out there. Say, let me... Most of you know that song, I can only imagine. I would assume, actually, everyone knows that song. Very famous old song about a guy convincing a girl... To maybe stay the night. Now, if you'll remember, a few years back, a lot of people found that song offensive. They said it was kind of rapey. It was about a guy convincing a girl to stay and have another drink. And she's like, no, I gotta go. And he's like, oh, come on, stay. And so, whatever group of people and their goal was to get this song canceled. Now, we're, we're all familiar what canceled means. But for those who aren't, it just means that the song gets taken off of playlists. They pull it from the internet. Whatever. They just, they don't play it on the radio. It gets shunned. It's now got a big red X mark on it. And nobody can approve of the song. Because one small group of people all agrees that the song is offensive. So we don't necessarily have a group of people saying, hey, that song offends me. I don't want to hear it anymore. You're not allowed to play it. Well, we kind of do. But really, we have a group of people who are saying, Hey, this song offends other people, so we should stop playing it, and you should stop playing it so they don't have to hear it. 
instead of the idea of like maybe saying, well, if you don't like it, don't listen to it. When it comes on, change the channel. So we can all agree on that. We can agree that there was a song that was made that projected an image that although almost all guys who drink alcohol have probably gone through the same scenario, I mean, convincing a girl to stay for a drink is not illegal. It's not gross. It's nothing. Okay. Either way, there's a group of people that were trying not to offend. It doesn't matter why they're offended or if they feel like it should it should offend them or what. We just can all admit, hey, these people were offended and the goal was to not offend them. So we're removing the song and that's just what we did. But I want you to remember the context. I want you to think about what they're saying, what the song is about. And maybe you do or don't find the song offensive. That's kind of irrelevant for this particular conversation. So, all right. So plug that one in your brain for a second. And now I want you to listen to this song. And let me just tell you, well, here, I'm going to play it right now. Yikes. Kind of tough to listen to, for me anyway. I mean, I don't like vulgarity. I just, I don't like it in music. I mean, an occasional F-bomb is okay when you're mad or you're really describing something. Okay, my goal is here is to not tell you how I feel about the song, but that's just my opinion of the song. Okay, so we have this song. Some may find it vulgar. In fact, I would suspect that a large amount of group would find this song vulgar and offensive. Now, if you could agree with me there, you're still with me. Okay, stay with me. If our goal is to have songs canceled because they're offensive, how is this song still around? Now, take away how I feel about this song. That doesn't matter. Remember, songs get canceled because they offend people. It doesn't matter if she's preaching about, you know, the, the strength in women doing what she does and the power that it gives her. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that people find it offensive. So the, the person who performed this song, Cardi B, this is the same person that interviewed President-elect Biden. That's right. It got tons of media coverage. A few million people watched it. Now, it was about a train wreck of an interview, as you can probably imagine. And the types of questions that she asked him were something you'd expect to hear out of a fifth grader's mouth. Rest assured, she didn't get vulgar. I guess her mother taught her something. But going back to her artwork, if you were to play that song for the entire population of the U.S., and then you were to play Baby It's Cold Outside for the entire population of the U.S., which song do you think would offend more people? I think you're exactly right. The Cardi B song. So why does it not get canceled? Why does it not get shunned? I mean, think about every person you know over the age of about 45. That song would probably offend them. Now, the types of people who hear that song 
are not the types of people that whine and scream and cry and complain and moan in order to be protected. Or they don't, they also don't scream and whine and complain and moan on behalf of other groups who might be offended, who are perfectly capable of doing their own whining and screaming and temper tantrum throwing. So you see, the goal is to, the goal is to not keep people from being offended. The goal is to cancel things that they don't like. The, the type of people who scream that things be canceled, it really only matters what their preference is. Because it's the exact same group of people that are whining about baby it's cold outside that are also celebrating Cardi B. And we can completely discount the fact that according to them, one of them is about rape and the other one is about celebrating your womanhood. Because that's not the grounds that they canceled the song on. They canceled the song because it was offensive. The underlying factor is still subjective. I mean, how does this sit well with anyone who appreciates free speech? The fact that we let people complain so much that we get tired of it. We just get sick of it and we say, okay, whatever, fine, cancel it, do whatever. I just, I got to get back to work. You know, I have a job. I got to do things. I don't have time to argue about offensive music. How can we say the, the First Amendment is important and then not stand up to these people? And it does kind of suck because tit for tat would be people like me trying to cancel the Cardi B song. But then if we do that, we're going against the freedom that we think people should have. And the freedom is that you can produce music that is offensive to some people. So if I went after them and I, and I said we should get this song shut down, then now I'm a hypocrite. So the only thing that I can do is argue that Baby It's Cold Outside should not be taken down. You see, once again, it goes back to two sides of the, of the uh, equation. One side of the equation says, just leave things how they are. Stop changing rules. Stop adding policy. Just stop. Leave things how they are. There's no need to constantly restrict and change. Then you have another side who's like, oh, no, this is offensive this year, so we're going to change it. We're going to cancel it. We're going to do this. And so you have the resistance. One side is static. It's not moving. It's trying to just dig in its heels and stay there. And then you have the other side who's like pulling on the rope and pulling and, and trying to move things one way. So when you have that, the best possible scenario for the people that don't want to move to the left is to just dig in their heels. Of course, the best case scenario for the people that want to move things to the left is to keep pulling. It's not like the, the, the people who are on the right are asking for more freedoms to be created. They're just saying, stop adding regulations. And one step beyond that is, okay, if you're going to add regulations, let's treat everything fairly. If we're going to cancel songs because they're offensive, let's do it. Let's cancel songs because they're offensive. Where things go astray is that people are wanting to pick and choose what's offensive. Really, it's all about the population. Just take a vote. Any song that offends a certain number of people, we can just delete it forever from history. I think that's silly. I think people should be able to write songs about whatever they want to, even if we don't agree with it. Even if we think it's ridiculous and offensive and gross and crass. You know, I'm not going to give a dime of my money to Cardi B. I'm not going to stream her song all the way through because I don't want it showing up on her metrics. But I will fight for her right to make that ridiculous terrible, gross music. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Man, I'm coming down off a turkey high. It was a pretty good Thanksgiving week. Um, I went to 
my cousin Melanie's mom's house, where my great aunt, who was once known as Aunt Ruth, who is now known as Aunt Meemaw, because my grandmother has passed away. And so she used to be Aunt Ruth because she was my mom's aunt. So my mom called her Aunt Ruth, so then I called her Aunt Ruth. But now she's Aunt Meemaw, like 90-something years old. I don't know. I feel like once you hit like 92, that's it. You stop counting until you get to 100. I mean, the difference between 92 and 97, yes, I know it's five years. But over time, like percentage-wise, you know, as time goes on, the percentages of the years, they just get smaller. So anyway, it was a good Thanksgiving. It was low-key. It was chill. You know, a lot of people were worried, you're going to go see Aunt Ruth? She's old. I'm like, yeah, I know. And she might not be here next Thanksgiving. And I might not be here next Thanksgiving. And so I'm not willing to hole up in my house because there's a 0.5% chance that I'm going to get this and die. And Aunt Ruth said, y'all come on. (laughs) Which to me means I'm not worried about the virus. I lived a great life. I would much rather see you guys and my great granddaughter than sit here alone. And for people, I don't understand how people don't get that. I don't understand how the leaders of these states don't think that the elderly should have the right to make that decision. Really, really, really bothers me. But Thanksgiving has changed over the years for me. I mean, obviously, COVID crap. Um, But just other than that, I mean, growing up, man, Thanksgiving, you know, you look forward to it and you get to go back home and see all your cousins and play outside and then come home from college, you know, and you wearing all your nice clothes and trying to impress everyone. And then as life goes on, it's just kind of like another day. And it's sad. I mean, it's still fun. But as you get older, there's like a little amount of pressure that, you know, you got to bring in the right food and you got to make sure that everyone's happy and you got to make sure the food's done on time. And you got to make sure that if you have a, 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 a vegan in the house, there's enough food for them, that there's enough options for the vegetarian options, you know. Um, but I don't know. It's um, it's still I still look forward to it. I still like to eat turkey once per year. That's it. I look forward to Thanksgiving turkey. This year we smoked some turkeys at the brewery and I brought a smoked turkey uh, to our Thanksgiving feast. Growing up, we cooked turkeys in a brown paper sack. That's to this day is the best turkey I've had. I've had it fried. I've had it smoked. I've had it baked. I don't know if there's any other way to have turkey. But of those four, cooked in a brown paper bag is the best. I'm not going to go into details on how to do it, but I'll do it before next Thanksgiving because I feel like it would get lost if I did it now. If there's one thing our family knows how to do, it's cook. So you're going to take me at my word on this one. Also, my Aunt Sue combined my two favorite desserts in the entire world into one. And it's my understanding that this just happened by chance. Pecan pie cheesecake. What? Yep. It was basically this a really, really good crust. Like a big, thick, crunchy crust. You know, my only complaint about pecan pie is that the crust can get soggy. This thing, it was like a hard, thick, crispy crust with pecan pie and then basically a cheesecake on top of that. It was so good. I I didn't eat any until after I left. I stayed at a little Airbnb and I brought myself a piece. And I'm glad I didn't take two pieces because I would have eaten both of them or three or four. It's, uh, It's pretty good. 
Welcome to the USA, where we take our two favorite desserts, put them into one, don't ask questions. But it was fun. I spent probably two hours with Aunt Ruth, my, my great aunt, going through my iPad, um, have pictures from all my travels. So she uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. I also got her hooked up on Instagram. So go find Aunt Mima on Instagram. And, um, you know, it's funny because my Aunt Sue has got, uh, she's got two yappy dogs, as my mom used to call them, little ankle biters. These guys don't really bite, but they do bark loud. And so I don't know for sure. I'm going to use some uh, some dog guessing skills and kind of go on, on a limb here. But I don't think these dogs leave the house much. I don't think they meet new people. So when new people come, they go nuts, right? They bark at them, not just when the doorbell rings, but for a while. They just rawr, 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 bark and bark and bark and bark. And then the people start yelling at the dogs. The dogs start barking at the people. And then it's just, it's just a cycle of barky. So... There was two dogs that lived there, plus a third dog that was visiting, who also has the ability to yap. And so all day long, something would set the dogs off. I would walk through a door, and they're like, oh, no, it's the new guy. And they would all lose their marbles and start barking. And then once one starts, they all start, and everyone just barks. Well, Kale thought it'd be funny to have Alexa play the doorbell sound so all the dogs would go nuts when... He was sitting across the house in a totally different room without the dog, so they wouldn't bother him. And so the Alexa makes the doorbell sound, and the dogs all go nuts, and the older people are just grabbing their ears, cringing a little bit, and they're screaming, and I was just gritting my teeth saying, dude, and I was thinking, how am I going to get him back? Well, the opportunity presented itself absolutely beautifully. So the night was wrapping up. It was about 9.30. I was going to go back to my Airbnb, had my pecan pie cheesecake, and I go outside, I close the door behind me, and there's the doorbell, and I thought, man, Aunt Ruth's in there, she's already like chill, everyone's calm, the dogs are sleeping, it's kind of quiet, things are winding down, Aunt Sue is in there, she has a dog on her lap, and I just thought about Kale, and I thought, hmm, well, sometimes innocent people gotta die in war, and I pushed that dang doorbell, and those dogs went nuts. <laughs> I laughed and laughed and laughed to myself because I don't know why I thought it was so funny. Even though I couldn't see anyone's reaction, I could very well picture it. <laughs> it was probably not the coolest thing to do. But, you know, like they say, don't get even, get ahead. Speaking of getting even, I was thinking the other day about words that I know aren't right but I still use them and how that's kind of been a progression over the last 15 or 20 years. I remember, you know, my mom would use a word and the biggest one that comes to mind was tump <laughs> and it's, you know, tump, well, watch out. You go tump it over. You know, um, if you leave that beer can on your bumper, it's going to tump over when you go, you get the idea. You, we all know what tump means, but it, really it's not a word. But I remember my mom saying it, and I, I would correct her. Mom, that's not a word. You know, this is when you're in your mid-20s to mid-30s, and you know everything. You know, there's nothing you can be taught. But now I really appreciate those words, and I find myself using them often because I find them funny. Another word is mash. <laughs> my grandmother, just mash that button. Mash on it. Or don't mash on it. I'd pick up a banana and I'd, I'd, she could see me wanting to squeeze it a little bit. Don't mash on that. 
<laughs> mash might be a word. I know, I know mashed potatoes is a word. But mash can just mean like lightly press a button. Mash on it, and you just push it. When I think of mash, it means like to smash. But I don't know. I love the way that they, um, they use those words. And my Aunt Ruth, she was telling a story. And people have a hard time with this, but they normally don't say what she says. And so, you know, if, if you're telling a story and someone rings the doorbell and you wake up, but you want to say it past tense, you say they were awakened. He was awakened at the doorbell. A lot of people say that, well, you can say the doorbell woke him up, but she, she says waked, W-A-K-E-D. And she was telling me a story and, and she used it three or four times. And I just thought it was the cutest thing ever. And he, when he waked up, he walked in there, and there is no way I would ever think about correcting her. So now I'm going to put that one in my repertoire of words that I know are wrong, but I still say. Another one that me and uh, my cousin Tyler started using, highly funny, is that older people, you know, you didn't wear, you wore pants all the time. Only on certain occasions would you wear short pants, and those are what we call shorts. And I remember when we were younger, the older people at the reunion you know, at our family reunion, if you're not familiar with our family, we have reunions. They're huge. People come from all across the land, and we reunionize. It used to be three, four times a year. Uh, COVID's got that all backed up. So anyway, we would see an older person, and it would be like a little bit cooler outside, or you know, maybe it's something that was kind of formal. It was an event or a, something, and, and, and by... Older person standards, it wasn't appropriate to have on shorts. So they would say something like, boy, y'all got on them short pants. It's cold out there. Y'all gonna get cold. Or you better watch out. The mosquitoes gonna get you with them short pants on. And so Tyler and I just, we just omitted the word shorts from our vocabulary and replaced them with short pants. And we talked, and it's not like, it's not even a really a joke anymore. It's just, we call them short pants. I'm gonna go put some short pants on. Those are the types of things that I hope I can remember. And if I can't, this is why I put them on here. Because those are all those are all cultural things. They're all things that define you and who you are and how you think and what you say. And I think it's okay to use things incorrectly just because. Now, if someone doesn't know the difference and they're applying for a job, obviously you don't want to go in there and say he waked up. But when you're talking to your 90-something-year-old aunt and she's telling you a story, by golly, let her say waked up. One thing people can't say, and I know I've probably talked about this before, is that people cannot just say, I don't know. They've lost the ability. I often think about this and I wonder what, what's caused this? How did we get here? And in addition to people wanting to take sides or feeling the, the need to take sides rather, I think this is largely due to the fact that particularly on social media forums where they're forced to, they have to, they have to take one side or the other. And so now it's kind of like, you know, people may not, be educated in something, but they're forced to put their opinion out there. And so now it's just their thoughts, right? If if they don't know enough to speak in terms of facts and statistics, then they throw out their opinion. Well, an opinion is nothing more than a thought. Okay, so just kind of hang on to that right there. I'll, I'll get back to that. I recently watched the uh, the Trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix. And if you haven't seen it or don't know about it, it's a courtroom movie uh, based on the true story of seven people um, in the 1960s that organized a big rally that turned violent and the cops beat up a bunch of people. And so when they had the sentencing for these seven people, they were, they were going to sentence them all at the same time. 
And so throughout the court proceedings, it goes back and forth on, on people looking for technicalities. And, and by the way, this is not a spoiler because uh, this is a true story and the outcome is already public. So, But the trial was was based largely on the intentions of the organizers. So they're trying to figure out whether or not they really wanted violent riots to ensue or not. And I thought one of the most amazing lines, well, no, the most amazing line that I heard in the whole movie was one of the guys, the organizers, was on the stand. And the prosecutor was up there. And, the, and one of the questions was, did you hope that these protests would lead to violence. And he sat there for a second and he goes, since when am I on trial for my thoughts? And I actually paused it and thought about that. And I was like, man, that, that is where we are today. You throw your thoughts out there and now you're on a trial. And I think a lot of people, they don't have enough information to, to put thoughts out there that are relevant but they still get blasted. They still get hung, drawn, and execution. But they're put in a position where they have to defend themselves because they're being attacked. And, and when we engage with someone that we don't know, we don't know how much or how little they know. And so let's just say that I walked into a, a dog training forum and there's someone there that's giving lessons on how to tell a dog how to sit. And it's completely wrong. And I know that it wouldn't work. I would speak up and I would say something. And then the person who devised that method or posted it would come back at me and tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about. And there's no way to resolve it. There's no way you can't, you, once you're on the defense and the other person's on the attack, that's it. It's going to stay there. But yet here we are, you know, we're, we come to these crossroads where people are approaching businesses or even other people and they're demanding to know their opinion on something. They're demanding to know how they feel. You know, people march into restaurants. They say, kneel down and say Black Lives Matter. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. And the reason that I'm not going to do it is simply because you're telling me to. But now they're on the defense and they're, and they're defending themselves from the accusation of racism. Well, if you don't do it, you're racist. No, that's not true, actually. I'm not going to do it because you're telling me to do it. Doesn't mean that because I don't do it, I am racist. And that's just one example, you know, it just popped into my head. Um, it's like kiss the ring, you know, it's like, it's like belittling and it's asserting power and it's just gross. Like, I do not think it's fair to approach someone and just randomly a expect them to take a side on a controversial topic. But here we are and it's happening. And what's the end? What's the end result? All the quote unquote polarization, all the division, all the disagreement. And you know what? You know the arena where this takes place? Online. This doesn't happen in person. I mean, obviously, you have the extreme people that approach you and, you know, tell you to make a certain beer because that's what you got to do to prove how you feel about somebody is make a beer to honor them. But mostly this happens online. Now, I think that the more that it happens online the more it will start happening in real person. And I think that one day we're going to look back at social media. Well, I don't know. We may not have the, the insight to do this, but I will. I'll look back at social media and I'll say, you're the reason that's where we are today. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg right now. Look, my whole point is to like, just say, I don't know. You know, that's what I say about climate change and global warming. 
I say, I don't know. Because for every study that someone shows me that says that humans are uh, the reason the climate is changing, there's another study that says that they're not. And so I just say, look, I don't know. I have no idea. Until someone can show me without a doubt, which it's impossible. See, it's impossible because there's agendas. Even though the consumer doesn't have an agenda, the people who are producing these air quote studies definitely have an agenda. It's like, it's like documentary makers. Like they're not, those aren't unbiased. They're all sided. They're all slanted. They're all one way or another. They're going to tell you what they think. And I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm just not okay with forcing people to say what they think. It's a straight up Karen move. And it's just gross. <laughs> if the beer analogy didn't make much sense, I'm gonna I'll I'll touch on it a little bit more here. Um, after George Floyd was killed by the police in Minnesota, there was a movement amongst one brewer to try to convince all the other brewers in the country to make a beer called Black is Beautiful. So this particular brewery, who happened to be located in San Antonio, put the recipe out there and they said, "Look, we're gonna make this beer to show our support for the black community." Okay, and you put your own twist on it, do whatever you want to, but you have to give uh, a percentage of it to a a, um, a charity that benefits people of color. And we opted out of doing it. And I'm not going to say on here why we opted out, because I want anyone who wants to know, I want them to approach me personally. And so we caught a bunch of flack of people saying, I can't believe they're not doing this and boycott New Oasis Brewing Company. And so I put it out there. I said, hey, guys, anybody who wants to know the details about this, I'd love to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Come see me at their brewery. I'm there all the time. I will buy you a beer, and we can talk about it. How many people do you think took me up on that? Zero. None. And guess what? You know, some of those people, they don't come back. And guess what? I don't care. I don't care. If you're willing to not come drink our beer, because I wouldn't put publicly my stance on a race-related topic when someone's forcing me to give an answer. I don't want you as a customer. I don't want you. So anyway, that's the details of that. I know that some people probably knew that, but others didn't, so I wanted to clear it up. I'll tell you what's pretty funny right now. Well, not funny, but something that I've observed is how many stores are taking advantage of the COVID situation and let me, let me clean that up a little bit. When I say taking advantage of, I don't mean like doing anything like nefarious or under the table or underhanded or anything like that. I'm just saying that they, they're using the excuse to basically alter their business model for as long as they can. And so here's what I mean. You look at like the, the veterinarian, right? I need to take Bronco in to get a prescription for some anti-itch medicine. And so I call them up. I'm like, I need to make an appointment. And they're like, well, we don't take appointments. You have to just drive here and wait in your car, and then we'll come get them. I was like, so I don't get to come inside with him? Nope, you have to sit in your car. And I'm thinking like, but there's no cases of COVID in this town. I didn't say that. So it got me thinking, and I thought, well, how, how does that benefit them? And which I'd like to talk to some vets and see if they – if they agree with it, if they appreciate the fact the customers now cannot be in there with them, I would assume 
if I were a vet, that I could see more patients. I could see them faster. I don't have to sit there and deal with them. And I, I mean, I say it like it's kind of a chore, but when your tr- your goal is to try to get through as many in one day, you don't want to spend time hearing about stories and you know the time that Fluffy tried to eat the hair dryer and shocked its tongue. Like you just want to get the dog better and get out of there. And so I could see how it would be very very appealing. You don't need as much staff at the front. You know, there's lots of things that you don't need. You don't have dogs peeing on the floor, you know, in the waiting area. You don't have dogs fighting with each other. And so I'm curious to see how long they can get by with this. Because I would consider changing vets. Not that I want to go sit in there in a waiting room. But I want to just make an appointment. I want to get in there and I want to leave. But with this system they have, you just show up. You call them when you get there. You tell them what spot you're in. And you just wait. They don't even take appointments. You just got to sit there and wait. And I'm like, that's, 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 I can't. I just can't go about my day knowing that I may be there for 30 minutes or four hours. Oh, another thing. Chick-fil-A. Their dining rooms are still closed here in Texas and Corpus when restaurants have now had the approval to open 100%. And sure, they might say, well, it's company policy and in New York... They have high numbers, so we're not going to let them open or let let them open in Corpus and not New York, blah blah blah. But I think they figured out that they can serve more people faster if, and cheaper. They can do it for less money. They're not cleaning up the dining room. They don't have to have people running cash registers. They don't have to have all the things that it takes to serve people in person. They don't have to worry about trays to wash. They don't have to clean bathrooms. And so, I bet you their numbers have gone up. Because for a long time, people were just getting food to go because they didn't want to go inside and get the COVID. So that trend probably kicked them off in the right direction. And now people are just used to it. And I've seen them now. They've even built these big portacaches over the area before you get to the order board. And they've got people out there with iPads. I mean, that they're this is telling me that they can cook chicken stuff faster than they can take the orders for it, basically, is <laughs> what's happening the world could take lots of lessons from Chick-fil-A. I'm here to tell you that. So, yeah, they've got big portacaches built, you know, covering the cars. That way, the workers who are out there with their iPads taking orders, they're out of the elements. And this is all a new thing. Now, I'm not knocking them. You know, it's capitalism at its finest. It's, it's companies doing what they think benefits them the most while still maintaining the consumer's approval. And they've got us all trained. Today, I went to PetSmart to get some dog food. And the last time I was in there, I thought, I'm never coming back here. I'm only ordering online. And, and, I, and I walked in there today and I thought, why am I here? Why did I not order my food online for my dogs? Stupid me. Wait till the last minute. Procrastinate. Go to PetSmart. Now, you might be thinking, what's the big deal with PetSmart? It's fun. I like to take my pet there and let them sniff around. Maybe that's the case. I like to get in and get out. Well, you can get in, but getting out's a different story. First of all, I couldn't find any baskets. I finally go find a flat cart. Go find the two foods that I need. I put them in a cart. I go to walk to the front. There's one checker. Six checkout lanes, one checker. The line was 20 people deep. Finally, I get up to the checker and I say, why do you guys only have one checker? Well, it's because COVID. <laughs> That's it. That's people's answer. It's because COVID. Oh, COVID won't let you have three checkers. 
I didn't even I did I just I didn't even approach it with her. I go, okay, cool, it makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and she was nodding right along with me. Yeah, you know, and that tells me so much. It tells me that these people are are just being given COVID for an excuse, and they're not questioning it. Blows my mind. It blows my mind. If I was an employee at PetSmart, and the boss is like, "Yeah, you know, we can only have um, uh, one checker because of COVID," I would say, "Hold on, time out. Why can we only have one checker because COVID?" Not that I'm saying he was wrong, but just curiosity would have gotten to me, and I would have wanted to know why. Because obviously you can't service as many people. So I got in line and I was huffy and puffy. And through my face diaper, I mumbled something like, you know what? The last time I came here, this was the same way. And I swore I wouldn't come back. And here I am. And two ladies, one in front of me, one behind me go, you know, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm about done with this place. And I was like, I'd love to slap a high five, but you may freak out because of the COVID. And then after I left PetSmart, Guess where I went? <laughs> to my favorite Indian food place that has the best Indian food in all of Corp... Oh, wait, you're right. It's the only Indian food place in all of Corpus. I guess it's become my Saturday night tradition. And it was also a Friday night tradition. <laughs> no, no, not Friday. Wednesday? When, no, Tuesday night. I also had it Tuesday night. But it works out great because it's like to buy one dish with a side of their little bread... It's like 17 bucks. And you can get two, two and a half meals out of it, maybe. Two, two good-sized meals. And, you know, that's not bad. Eight fifty for a meal. You don't have to cook it. Really not bad at all. Bavani Express. Today, they were, their dining room was closed. And I said, why is your dining room closed? Thinking that they were going to say, because of the COVID. But they didn't. They said, well, the rain is coming. And when the rain comes, it leaks and the whole floor gets wet. And I thought, oh, man, that sucks. Well, at least you're still open to go. And they smiled, put my food in the bag, and I walked out. Happy little Indian family. I want to be friends with them someday. I want to go to their house and cook with them. They probably don't cook at home, though. Speaking of cooking, I'm begging for it to get cold so we can, it can be soup season. You know, we only have like a two-month-long soup season here. I like to do the ramen and the pho. And the chili and the gumbo, those are all good. I'm excited that they're right around the corner. Speaking of right around the corner, when I was standing in line at PetSmart. I was next to all the dog treats. And I was looking at them, and I thought, what are these flavors? So they would have one brand with like five or six different flavors. I'm not kidding. One of them was like uh, turkey and garlic. And the other one was like, it, it wasn't even, oh, it was um, German bratwurst <laughs> and a little German flag. And these, these flavors weren't as basic as like lamb and rice. It was like savory onion steak and potato. It was like a meal. And there's little tiny little dog treats. And I thought to myself, what? Anybody who tells you that this country is in a bind or that we don't do things right, look at this. Look what, the, look what we have made to feed our dogs. And mainly, mainly that, that stuff is made for us. It makes us feel good. It makes us excited that the dog's going to get to taste what, you know, a turkey and dressing tastes like in the form of a dog treat. It is so funny to me that people fall into that. Not to mention the multiple flavors. I wanted to see what the most expensive dog treats they had was. 
And so I looked as I walked down the aisle. Now, remember, I was way back there, 20-something people. So I had a long aisle of dog treats to look at. The most expensive one I could find was, I think, elk and blueberries, okay? Now, the size of these treats, were they were pretty small. They were designed for a little dog. Probably, like, if you could cut a dime in half and make it into a circle, that's about how small they were. Teeny, tiny little bites. And I thought... Elk and blueberry. Then I looked at the price, okay? You're not going to believe this. $10.99. So let's just call it $11 for eight ounces, okay? That comes out to $22 a pound. That is more than most prime ribeyes <laughs> you could buy at the grocery store. Can you believe that? Probably so. You probably can. But if anyone tells me that this country, that the... That the wage gap is just, it's just too big. Now, here, here's the deal. We're not talking about, we're, we're not, I'm not in Hollywood, okay? I'm not in like Times Square or Fifth Avenue or Rodeo Drive where movie stars are buying dog treats. I'm in Corpus Christi, Texas, where the average household income is probably less than $70,000. I'm just making that up, but it's not much. If you've been to Corpus, you know what I'm talking about. So here we are. With these dog treats, they're $22 a pound. And people are worried about income inequality, okay? That we don't have all equal income. There's too many poor people. Hey, listen, if people didn't buy $22 a pound dog treats, they wouldn't make them, okay? People are buying these things. People have so much money, they're paying $22 a pound for dog treats. I mean, that is like royalty money. In foreign countries. If you go to Nicaragua and you spend $22 a pound on dog treats, you might as well fly around in a private jet. And that's where we are. You know, people forget that you have the extremely poor, you have the extremely wealthy, and you have everyone in between. And while the poorest of the poor are in a sad situation, I feel bad for them. I really do. You will always have them. So if you take them away, if you pick out some arbitrary line and you draw it on the income scale and you drag those people off and you look at it again, you still have the poorest of the poor. And if you take those people away, now you have a new poor. You always have a bottom end of the spectrum. And how low that gets, there's not much you can do about it other than give things away. Look, my whole point is things can't be that bad if we're selling dog treats for $22 a pound. Next to the dog costumes. Yeah, yeah. Next to the dog costumes that people dress up their dogs. Things aren't bad. It doesn't matter what they tell you. It doesn't matter what the media says. I don't care what the president says. Look around you. Pay attention. And you'll agree. Probably. Man, we went extra long today. I think it's about time for me to start wrapping it up. I'm going to go edit this thing. Oh, the Mike Tyson fight is tonight. I didn't even talk about that. If you remember, I mentioned way back in July about the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. fight. I'm going to figure out how to watch it. I think I may stream it to my iPad on through the uh, pay-per-view site. So, yeah, I'm going to get everything wrapped up. I'm going to go look forward to that, eat my Indian food. Meanwhile, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there. Be brave. Own your thoughts. Don't let anyone force you into saying an opinion that you may have not formulated yet. It's okay to say I don't know. Patronize the stores that you like. 
go eat some Indian food and cherish the words that other people say that you may think are incorrect. I'm Brandon Harper. This is the Life in Paradise. Appreciate you listening. Keep it tranquilo. Sendo foi...